Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. As you know, we are continuing in our series called The Book of Acts, and I'd love to encourage you to, if you've missed any of our messages in this series, to go to our information desk and get one of those QR codes, or you can take a picture of the QR code that we have on the screen here behind me that will take you to these messages. Each message has been a chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, the history of the church. And so I'm not going to belabor this for the sake of time, but I want to say that we left off with the Apostle Paul on his journey, his, his second missionary journey throughout what really would be considered Europe in some cases, some places, preaching the gospel, planting churches. And when we left off, he was in the city of Corinth. And while in Corinth, Corinth, if you don't know, is the people that he wrote the book of First and Second Corinthians to. So he's been traveling around with this burden in his heart, this mission that God gave him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to the nations of the world. The title of my message this morning is Stay on Mission. Everybody said it with me. Say, stay on mission. It's really easy to get distracted from the mission that God has given us. It's really easy to be distracted from the things that we know God has uniquely asked us to do. Because so many things come to us. We live in the information age and I mean, you can be having a great day and you get on Instagram for five minutes and your week is ruined. There's so many things that come to you, but I want to encourage you to stay on mission. Acts, we left off in Acts chapter 18, verse 18. This is what it says. It says, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Sincrea. There he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. Again, I won't spend much time on this, but this says that the apostle Paul, and he was ending a vow. And he, this was a vow that was according to Jewish custom. Now, more than likely, this was a Nazarite vow. How many of you remember Samson from the Old Testament in the Bible? Okay, Samson was a Nazarite, meaning that he, there was a vow that God through an angel asked his mom to make, to set him aside. And in that vow, he was not allowed to cut his hair. He was not allowed to drink any alcoholic beverages. Come on, Cajuns. And, and he was not allowed to touch anything that was dead. Now, he broke all three of those rules. And, cut, you know, and especially with the cutting of his hair, lost all of his power, lost the anointing that God had on his life. Well, here we see Paul making what is likely a Nazarite vow. Now there, it wasn't a lifetime commitment, but for Paul, this was a momentary vow that he would make that was either to thank God for something amazing that he did, or it was to ask God to do something amazing. And after this vow was over, he shaved his head. So just to give you some of that information. Now, in case you're wondering, well, pastor, should I do that? Are you a Jewish man? 
Because he was doing this according to his Jewish custom. You don't have to do that. But another interesting thing I want you to see is that he was going to Syria, which was his home base. This is Hannah's home base. She's going to travel the world and, and spread the gospel, but she will come back home because this is her home base. Syria, Antioch was Paul's base. That was his home base. And so he was finishing up his journey and was on his way home to, um, to Syria, to Antioch and Syria. So something very interesting that I want you to see though, he took his good friends Priscilla and Aquila with him. Last week we talked about Priscilla and Aquila. They were people who were Christians that Paul met in the temple and, and probably struck up a conversation and said, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian too. I'm traveling and preaching, so are we. And we talked about how cute their names were, Priscilla and Aquila. And it reminds us, some of you did not take pictures this week in matching sweaters just because I made fun of that last week. I know it. Some of you rebelled and said, I'm doing it anyway. And so anyway, but I was meeting with a group of our young leaders in our church yesterday and I shared something with them. Don't miss this. Priscilla and Aquila became lifelong friends for the Apostle Paul. Why? Because they had a similar mission. They had a similar calling. Something that you, you've heard me say many, many times, and I don't want you to miss this, but if you show me your five closest friends, I will show you your future. You show me the five people in your life that you have allowed to influence your life and I will show you the direction and the trajectory that your life is going on. There's a saying that I heard many, many years ago and it's so true and it says, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Meaning, you can have the best intentions to do great things with your life but if you surround yourself with losers, you're not going to do it. You can say, I want to stay pure and save myself from marriage. But if you have surrounded yourself with promiscuous people, it will happen to you. Why? Because the people that you allow to influence your life will do just that. They will influence your life. So if you show me the five people that you, and, and I joked about this yesterday, Pastor Gabe, does it have to be five? No, that's just a point. It's just a principle. Show me the people that influence your life and I will show you the direction that you're going on. That is just, it's biblical. It's how it works. How many of you have ever gotten around someone who made just a, a and we all make mistakes. I'm not talking about just making mistakes. I'm talking about just stupid life decisions. You ever been around people and they make a decision and you're like, what is wrong with you? Like I remember my, my pastor used to, used to ask a very deep theological question like this. He would say, which one of us is on crack? <laughs> but when you ask yourself, what is wrong with them? I can all but promise you I know at least one of the factors that's, that added to that bad decision. There's someone or some people in their life who treated that action like it was okay, approved of it, or even thought it was cool. And because of that, they opened up themselves to that bad decision. And it starts, it's anything, it's little things. You ever been around someone, and I'm not picking on, well, I am picking on you, so let me just say this. 
Have you ever been around people who smoke cigarettes all the time? Okay, first of all, if you smoke a cigarette, you will not go to hell. That is not a sin against God. You will smell like hell. (laughs) It's true. I don't care how much cologne and how how many breath mints you use. You won't go to hell for that, but you smell like it. Somewhere along the line, somebody thought that was cool and influenced them to think that was cool, so now they're doing it. So now you're looking back going, that's just gross. They're thinking that person thought that was cool. That's how that started. And it can go from, it can be anything from cigarettes to drugs to alcohol to anything else that we open up in our lives. Why? Because of the people we allow to influence our lives. Paul here allowed Priscilla and Aquila to be an influence in his life, helping to keep him on the path and on the mission that God had for him. Let's keep going. Verse 19, they stopped first at the port of Ephesus where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. As he left, however, he said, I will come back later, God willing, Then he set sail for Ephesus. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. Didn't you just read a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, that Paul was arguing with the Jews in the the synagogue, and then he said, I'm done with y'all, and he left to go preach to the Gentiles? He did, but that was in a different city. So now that he's made it to Ephesus, he goes back to his same practice of going to the synagogue first. And for those of you who haven't been with us, the synagogue was like the Jewish church. They had the temple, which is the place where they went to meet with God. But if they didn't live in Jerusalem where the temple was, they set up these little churches, these satellite campuses, if you will, from the main church called synagogues. And there was a synagogue in Ephesus. And that's where Paul went to preach the gospel first. Now why? Did he do that? Because he loved the Jews. Even though they were beating him, even though they were rejecting him, even though they were putting him in prison, he still loved them. And he knew God loved them. Isn't it ironic how sometimes the people that God asks you to share his love with are the people that you don't even want to talk to? People you don't even want to be around, you know they don't like you but he asks you to share life and hope with them. Why? Because he loves them. Even when you don't love them, he still loves them. And we talked about this a few weeks ago as well. There are times when we give up on people, but God does not give up on people. God does not give up on people. And so we see here that Paul went to them and he's preaching the gospel to them. Also because The gospel, the message of Jesus was supposed to go first to the Jewish people. Why? Because Jesus was a Jewish man and the Jews were God's chosen people. And God's plan all throughout history was to bring the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, through the line of the Jewish people. And so they were supposed to partake of it first before it went to the Gentiles. And Paul knew that. But what Paul was saying is you are waiting on a Messiah that has already come. You've been waiting these thousand plus years for this Messiah and I'm here to tell you, you missed him. He's already come. He's already 
paid the price. That's why we sing some of the Christmas songs that we sing. One, for instance, is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Because they were waiting for this king, waiting for this Messiah who had already come. Now, Ephesus was a, the place where Paul was, was a very significant city. We're going to talk more about that in a little while. But let me just say this. Something strange happened to Paul while he was in this, this synagogue preaching. Well, Pastor, what happened? They listened to him. He wasn't used to that. He was used to going there and having to argue with them. How many of you have those family members that you just know this Christmas is already on before it even started? Don't act holy spiritual. Come on, raise your hand. You have them. Some of you are sitting right across from them. You know when I get there, great, they're going to want to argue about this. I'm going to walk in and the first thing they're going to ask me, what you think about the election? Oh, Lord, Okay. Right, there's just gonna be a tension and argument there. Paul was used to this. Something different that happened in Ephesus though is as he's preaching the gospel, these Jews, they're listening and they wanna hear more. And they even ask him to stay with them and to share a little bit more. But Paul says no. Now was Paul just being salty? Was Paul just being like, nope, fine, y'all don't want y'all, nobody else listens, so why? No. He knew he was going to come back. If it was God's will, he was going to come back. And I didn't plan on saying this, but let me just say this. It's not you who saves people. People's salvation, don't miss this, look up here. People's salvation is not based on you. God will use you. He will use you to be a vessel, but at the end of the day, it is between them and him. Okay, that's important for you to know. Why? Because with a heart and a desire for the mission, for the thing God's called us to do, because we love people, there are times when we can take an unnecessary burden on, I have to do this, I have to save this. There was one Messiah. His name was Jesus. His name was not T-Boy. He was not from Lauraville. Jesus. So Paul leaves. And he goes back home. Verse 22 says this, the next stop was at the port of Caesarea. Now Caesarea was a port city. It was the port city to Jerusalem. It was kind of like a Sippermore Point. It's where the water was, you're coming with a boat and then you go in the land, right? From there, he went up and visited the church in Jerusalem and then went, on, went back to Antioch, Antioch of Syria. That's his home base that we just talked about. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul went back through Galatia and Phrygia, visiting and strengthening all the believers. Paul went home. He probably got some rest, but then he was right back to it. Why? Because Paul was a man on a mission. Paul was a man who knew God's mission for his life. Let me ask you a question. What's your mission? What is it that God has uniquely wired and asked of you in this life? What has he called you to do that brings glory to him? And we get caught up in this, this, this saying, look, my calling, my calling. Let me just bring some clarity to what your calling is. Your calling is to follow him. Yes. Yes. Jesus said that. 
When Jesus called his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is all of our callings. Our calling is to follow Jesus and to be fishers of men, to help people know the gospel, help people know Jesus. That is our calling, but yet there's a, di- there's a distinction that all of us have that's different. What is our mission? What is your mission? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is my mission? For some of you, it's to raise godly children. It's to raise your kids in a manner that they're going to grow up loving Jesus and not hating the church. They're going to grow up in a way that they fall madly in love with God and they fear God rather than fearing the opinions of man in the culture that they live in. Maybe that's your mission. Maybe your mission is to go on a mission or mission trips all around the world bringing the gospel to the nations of the world like Hannah. Maybe it's staying right here and discipling men and discipling women. Maybe it's helping us plant churches all around our region. Whatever your mission is, have you ever stopped and asked God the question, what is it? Because I can tell you, I know God's mission and God's plan for my life, at least in this season. And it's what causes me to wake up with a smile on my face in the mornings. I love doing what I do. People come up to me often and go, Pastor, thank you so much for what you, and I tell them, I tell them a lot of them the same thing. It is the greatest, one of the greatest joys in my life to pastor this church. Because it's what God's called me to do, and I love doing what I do. Now some of y'all are crazy. (laughs) And he gives me grace for you. Somebody said, thank you. (laughs) That is very good self-awareness right now. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But I love it. Why? It's the mission that God has called me to, that he's given me. First and foremost, my mission is that woman and my children. After that, it's this amazing church that he's given me to pastor. And I love it. Some of you are trying to figure out life because you haven't figured out yet that God has a mission for your life. And you're wandering around aimlessly, grasping for things to bring fulfillment to your life because you've never stopped long enough to hear, this is why I created you. I got it now. I got it. Paul knew his mission. And though he rested for a while when he needed it, he rested and he went right back to the mission, right back to the call. He knew what his calling was. He knew what his mission was. Verse 24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well and arrived in, excuse me, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Now, we see here, all of a sudden, we have a brief time out in telling Paul's story, and the attention goes to this man by the name of Apollos. Now, Apollos was a Jewish man, but he was a Hellenistic Jewish man, meaning he was a Jew who had been brought up in a Greek culture, a Hellenized culture. And so he had, uh, even had a Greek name, Apollos, which came from, it was basically, a, the meaning was the son of Apollo, the Greek god. 
But he was a Jewish man, and he had been taught about Jesus. He, the Bible gives us certain details, and if you ever wonder why the Bible gives us details, it's not because the Bible wants to sound smart. The Bible gives us these details because it's a part of the backdrop, the back story that helps you understand what's actually going on. And so it tells us that Apollos was from Alexandria in Egypt. Now, why is that significant? Alexandria, number one, was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It's the second largest city. And it was also one of the intellectual capitals of the Roman Empire. Brilliant people, brilliant scholarly work. All of this stuff had been done in Alexandria. That's where the, a lot of the thinkers were now. We talked about Athens and all the philosophies, all that stuff. But Alexandria was a place of brilliant people. Not like Alexandria, Louisiana. Little different. If you ever go to Alexandria and you see the sign and it says like, you know, Boudin, don't buy it. This is a side note, don't do it. Save yourself your money and your trouble. All right. But he was from Alexandria, so that meant that he was, he'd been brought up with all of these intellectual people. So he was an intellectual man himself. He was very sharp. The Bible says that he taught with enthusiasm, an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. He was a firebrand. He was a firecracker. He was a passionate man. He was passionate about talking about Jesus. But here's the problem. He didn't fully understand what had happened with Jesus. The Bible says here that he taught, the only thing he knew was John's baptism. Well, what John is he talking about? He's talking about John, the Bible's talking about John the Baptist. So he was teaching the baptism that John the Baptist taught. And John's baptism was, he was a Jewish man teaching Jewish people. What was he teaching them? Hey, get ready. The Messiah is coming. Get your acts together because Jesus is coming. The problem with that is that Jesus had already come. So by the time that he's, that he's preaching this, Apollos is preaching this, Jesus had already come, he had already died, he had already risen from the dead, and he had already set up a new baptism, a baptism in his name and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Apollos didn't know any of that. So the Bible tells us that Priscilla and Aquila, whom I absolutely love because they didn't have Pastor Priscilla and Aquila in front of their title, Apostles Priscilla and Aquila. They were Priscilla and Aquila. The couple with the matching sweaters. That's who they were. He had a P, or she had a P on hers, he had an A. And they stopped this man and they said, hey, we think you're missing some things and we'd love to help you with it. The thing I love about Apollos, even though he had missed some of the big picture, he was humble enough that when he heard truth, he allowed them to speak it to him. Here's this man standing in front of the temple, just leveling all of these brilliant Jews with the truth that he knew, but they knew the, the full picture. They knew the full truth that he didn't know, and he was humble enough to listen to them. Now, are you humble enough to listen to people? Are you humble enough to let someone show you something that maybe you thought you were right about, but you were wrong about? I'm going to come back to that because I want to give you just a, a brief side note for a moment. 
when we're talking about John's baptism and the baptism that Apollos knew about, there's, there's a divide among some Christians that is, if I'm being honest, is absolutely silly. And here's the divide. Well, pastor, I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Some of you have heard about that debate among churches. Some of you come from churches that are taught, you have to be baptized in Jesus' name only, or you have to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you why this is such a stupid debate? Because the Bible supports both of them. In Matthew, Jesus said, go be baptized, go baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that. But then here in Acts, we see being baptized in Jesus' name. So people have come to us and say, Pastor, I want to be baptized like this. Here's what I'll say. I will baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. There, done. (laughs) Covered our bases. The important thing is that you are baptized. And when, I, and when the Bible talks about in his name, it doesn't just mean I used his name as a frame of reference. What it's saying, when you do something in someone's name, you do it with their authority. When you do something in the name of Jesus, you're doing it on Jesus's behalf with all of the authority that's been given to him. When you have an ambassador from the United States of America who goes to another country and they do, they speak, they're not speaking on their own behalf or in their own authority. They're speaking in the name of the United States government. And that's what carries that authority. So when you're baptized, you're not just baptized throwing a title on it. You're baptized into his baptism with his authority and in his name. That's what that's all about. So back to this. So Apollos He's there and he's being taught by Priscilla and Aquila and he's humble enough to let them teach him that. And even as I say that, I rubbed against some of your traditions. Good. Because if your tradition cannot be grounded in the Bible, your tradition needs to yield and you need to believe what the Bible says. Are you willing to let someone teach you something from the Bible that may be against what you were traditionally taught. Well, pastor, I don't know about that. My mama used to teach me, I love your mama, but she was wrong. <laughs> if mama, what mama taught was not grounded in scripture, mama was wrong. God bless her heart. But let God be true in every man a liar. That's what the Bible says. The truth that we build our lives on has to be the word of God. It has to be. Are you so married to your traditions that you aren't willing to let someone challenge your beliefs? I'm not talking about your beliefs in the sense that culture that's ever changing is going to teach you. This is what we all believe. Now this is what we all believe. Now this is what we all believe. No, no, no. I'm talking about the Bible, the word of God. That's the standard. Now, if what you believe can't be backed up in scripture, I, I encourage you to rethink it. It's funny, Lauren and I, go, we go on a date every Friday morning. Very, very few exceptions. That's our time together, except for when my daughter Lily is with us ruining it. But other than that, <laughs> that is our time together. Every Friday morning, we have a date morning together. And so we happen to go to this restaurant, and we're sitting in this restaurant, and we're Christian eavesdropping. 
This is what I mean by Christian eavesdropping. There's a couple sitting in the, in the next booth from us. I, I guess they were a couple. I don't know if they were a couple. But they were arguing. And they were arguing about the Bible. Now, if they're arguing about something other than Christianity or the Bible, it's called nosy. This was Christian nosy, okay? <laughs> they were talking about, it's like, we have some authority in this realm, okay? And so they're going back and forth. And this guy is adamantly going at this woman about his, his denominational traditions. No, this is what we were taught. This is what, this is what we believe. This is what our denomination believes. And she's, I love her response. She's like, the Bible doesn't say that. She's like, where's that in the Bible? He's like, and so I tried my hardest to get into that argument. I walked up to them, I was like, hey, my name is Pastor Gable, blah, 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 I graduated, blah, blah. and they were like, uh-huh, yes, thank you. I tried. <laughs> I tried to get in. They wouldn't let me. The devil blocked me from getting into them. <laughs> but I loved her response. Where's that in the Bible? Listen to me, there are things that we do that are their cultural things that we've picked up. What do I mean by that? We may do three songs, like every week. The Bible doesn't tell us we have to do three songs. So guess what? We would be willing to do four, <laughs> right? But the Bible does tell us to sing unto the Lord, right? And so I'm not saying, okay, you guys, y'all do, some churches do bulletins, they're of the devil because the Bible doesn't, don't be weird, don't be gross. Okay, but what I'm saying is we don't take our traditions and act like they're biblical foundations. We're willing to change our traditions if they come against what the Bible says. Does that make sense? So they teach Apollos these things and, and he accepts it and he, he changes and he adapts this to his life. Verse 27, Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate using the scriptures. He explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Here's what I like about this. Priscilla and Aquila didn't act like this was their turf. Paul didn't act like this is his turf. Churches are not gangs. We don't have turfs. I don't have a this is my corner of the world, which is something that's very sad. A friend of mine planted a church in Atlanta. He was here a couple months ago, I believe, planting a church in Atlanta. And when he got there, there, were, there was a church who was very offended that he didn't ask for their permission before he came and planted a church in their city. Can I just tell you how dark that is? You are not my church, you are Jesus's church. It's so weird. We steward what God has entrusted to us, but you belong to him. You belong to him. These communities, these cities, this is not our city. This is Jesus's city. And so I love how they were, they opened up their heart to them. Now, here's the thing. Apollos had gone to preach in Achaia. What city was in Achaia? Corinth. 
Corinth was a city in Achaia. So he was going right back to the place that Paul had just left. And so this is what the Bible says when Paul's writing to 1 Corinthians. He addresses this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says this. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I'm a follower of Apollos. Others, I follow Peter or I follow Christ. Verse 13, has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. Paul recognizes, listen, you don't belong to me. I played my part. So we get, we get into trouble when we start putting ourselves into these different factors. I'm of them. I'm of Pastor Gabe. I'm of Dr. Scott. I'm of Pastor Jacob. I'm the Orange Chair Days. You all belong to Jesus. You all belong to Jesus. And can I just tell you this? I've had people who've left our church and gone to another church. Guess what? If they're growing more there, praise God. I'll see you again in heaven. You're not mine. I do believe in honor. What I mean by that is if you go to another church, I believe in at least going to your pastor and saying, hey, thank you so much for all that you've invested in in me. I I feel like God is really leading me to go there. Man of God, go for it. Woman of God, that's awesome. I know them. They're great. And if I know them and they're not great, I'll tell you that too. (laughs) Right? I believe in that. That's honor. But at the end of the day, you don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus. Go where God has called you. And for those of you who are those type of personalities that you love to, you don't want anybody to leave out of your sight. I love what T.D. Jake said, and it's something I've lived my life on. He said, if anyone can walk away from you, let them. If someone can, let them. Why? Because you have everything you need. God has provided everything you need. Don't spend your life running after and chasing after people that They're not yours to begin with. They're his. I hope you hear health in that because this is biblical. Sometimes churches, we get really weird about stuff like this. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So the tension goes right back to Paul. And he's in Ephesus. He's going to Ephesus. Apollos is in Corinth. And while, while Paul is there, he finds this group of people who are claiming somewhat to be Christians, but just like Apollos, they didn't know about being baptized into Jesus. They claimed to be Christians, but all they knew was John's baptism, and they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the beautiful thing. God will build on another person's work. He will use you to build on someone else's work. You may get the seed in, and he'll, they'll, God use someone else to water the seed, but ultimately it's him who brings the increase. This is all his work. This, he gets all of the glory, the honor, and the credit. Now, 
God uses Paul to build on what Apollos has started because more than likely these disciples who didn't know about being baptized in Jesus' name or being baptized in the Holy Spirit, they probably were discipled by Apollos. And so now Paul shows up and he gets to add to them. Can I just say this? No one person has all the answers for what you need in life. It's not, I don't care if you're on Oprah's book club or not. You, she does not have all the answers for what you need in life. We need multiple anchors in our lives. You need people that are going to be there to challenge you, and you need people that are going to be there to help heal you and pick you up. We need multiple anchors in our life. And Paul was used by God to build on the foundation that Apollos laid. Verse 3. While Paul is talking to these men, he tells them, then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism, again, John the Baptist, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now let me just again, before I close, dispel some of these things. I want you to see this. Some of you have been taught in churches that you grow up in, grown up in in denominations, that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was only for the birthday of the church. Or the baptism in the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues and prophesying was only as a sign that God was accepting the Gentiles. Both of those things are partly true, but none of those things had anything to do with this. Paul found people who had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, laid hands on them, and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Let me just tell you something we've talked about a number of times in this series. God is still doing that today. Your pastor prays in tongues every single day of his life. I don't do it from this stage because that's not going to benefit you. That's not going to help you in any way. But I do. I believe in prophecy, the gifts of the prophecy. Pastor, that's kind of weird. Never said it wasn't going to be. But it is biblical. Do we believe the Bible or do we believe our traditions? Let me say that again. Do we believe the Bible or do we believe our traditions? My tradition says that's weird. We don't do that. That's not what the word says. Because here we find these men who get baptized into the kingdom of God, into Jesus, in Jesus' name. The next thing that happens is Paul lays his hands on them and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they pray in tongues. They speak in an unknown tongue and they prophesy. Pastor, is that for special people? That's for God's children. If you are a child of God, you are eligible for that. How do I get it? You ask him for it. You ask him for it. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to go through a special class. You don't have to, you don't have to tithe 12%, though that'd be nice if you want. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You simply ask God, and it's a free gift that he gives to you. And he wants you to have it to be a witness for him to the world. And that becomes the greatest friend you'll ever have because it's God himself stepping inside of you, guiding you. 
So we see that Paul adds that to them. Now, I love Paul's perspective. Let me go back to him and Apollos again. I love his perspective on Apollos' work because in 1 Corinthians, he goes back to talking about Paul and Apollos and he says this on how they benefited and complemented one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 says this, I had, I had to feed you milk, not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. You still aren't ready. Paul's just honest with them. He's like, y'all aren't ready for this. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. With each other excuse me. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am follow, I'm the follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you still acting like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your heart and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It is not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Again, Paul is saying, I don't care who gets the credit. I care about playing my part and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And this scripture also reveals something. It reveals that your unity reveals your maturity. Your ability to be unified with other believers reveals your maturity. Paul is equating immaturity with disunity. He's saying if you can be unified with the body of Christ, you're mature. If you can't, you're not. And I'm not talking about a lack of conflict because we've already seen in the book of Acts that Paul was not a man who shied away from conflict. Conflict is not the issue. Whether or not you're willing to humble yourself and resolve it is the issue. Whether or not you value your brothers and your sisters enough to go there and to go past it is the issue. Your unity reveals your maturity. I'm not talking about unity with the world either. I'm not talking about unity with politics and political parties. I'm talking about unity with the body of Christ. The body of Christ. But some became stubborn. Acts chapter 19 verse 8, excuse me. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul, with the way is Christianity. That's what it was called back then. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he, heard daily, he, held, he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which was a school. Church plant started in a school just like they do today. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, Paul's strategy, first of all, Paul stayed here longer than any other place. He stayed in Ephesus for about three years teaching them. In this major city, this major community, he stayed there teaching them the word of God, discipling them. And just through that, remember we talked about his strategy of going to bigger communities, knowing that the gospel would go into all of these smaller communities, it worked. He stayed there for three years, discipling people and preaching the gospel. 
And out of Ephesus came the church in Colossae, which is where we get the book of Colossians. Out of this church in Ephesus came the church in Laodicea, which is the church that is mentioned in the book of Revelation, one of the seven churches, the, book of, the church of Laodicea. It came from church, Paul's church in Ephesus. Paul may have never even gone to those communities. But because he preached the gospel and they recognized the mission God gave them as a church, they went out and they spread the gospel all around them. What I want you to see and what I want to leave you with is this. Paul wasn't distracted. He knew his mission. And he stayed with his mission. And in verse 11 through 12, It closes out with this. It says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled or cast out. God gave Paul a mission and then he gave him the power he needed to accomplish it. Now, before you go and give $1,000 to some guy on TV who's going to give you water from the Jordan River, don't do that. That's called a scam. (laughs) If you don't know that, I'm sorry to tell you that $1,000 is gone. But what I am saying is this. God gave Paul the power to accomplish this. If God gave Paul the power to accomplish the mission he gave him, won't he do the same thing for you? There's a saying I, I learned here many years ago. God's will, God's bill. That means that if he's called you to do it, he's going to give you. He's going to pay what needs to be paid for you to be able to do it. He's going to give you everything you need. Another way of saying that is what God appoints, God anoints. He will anoint you, not just so you are anointed, but he will anoint you with what you need to do what you've been appointed to do. What is your mission? Are you letting other people's success distract you from it? Are you letting comfort and leisure distract you from it? Are you letting the troubles of the world or the news or family, all these things distract you from the mission? What has he asked you to do? Once you know that, do it. And he'll give you everything you need to do it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the mission that you've given us as a church. You've given us uniquely, individually. I pray for your people today. Encourage them. Help them. God, I pray that you would put almost holy blinders on us to fulfill the mission you've given us. If it's to raise our kids in a godly manner, help us not be distracted by the fears of the world. God, if it's to make disciples of young men and young women, older men and older women, God, help us to not be distracted by our own busyness and all of the things that are going to steal that moment of standing before you here and well done, good and faithful servant. Give us holy blinders to see the mission and to run after it, to not let go of it, to not see someone else's success in that field as a threat to us, but rather something that we can help build on and complement. Thank you for your word. If you're here this morning, maybe you are someone's mission. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, maybe someone invited you to church today in hopes that you would hear the message of the gospel. 
that Jesus loves you, that he died on the cross for your sins so that you could be made right with him. If you're here and you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not right with God. I've never, I've never prayed to be born again. I've never accepted that. I've never given my life to that. I've never surrendered to that. Today's your day. So with no one looking around, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to respond to that call to follow him. And the only thing I'm going to ask you to do is to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, include me in this prayer that you're going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of surrender. The words themselves won't save you, but the grace of God will. And your surrender to him being the Lord of your life will. It's as simple as ABC. A, you're admitting that you're a sinner, that there's sin in your life that separates you from a holy, righteous God. B, you're believing that God sent Jesus to forgive you of that sin, to pay the price for that sin. And C, you're confessing he is now the Lord of your life. Lord meaning boss, he calls the shot. So with no one looking around, on the count of three, if you say, that's me, I want to ask you to just lift up your hand. And today you're going to be saved. He's going to save you. He's going to rescue you. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? See, this is my moment. I want to be born again, Pastor. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Praise God. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? See, this is me. This is my moment, Pastor. I want to be born again. I want him to be the Lord of my life. You can put him down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. As we surrender to God, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven purpose on earth and a relationship with the Father. I turn from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer. Welcome to the family of God.